classical liberalism produced the Constitution and the United States, for example. So are we at the end of that liberalism? Patrick Deneen says yes. Michael Hamby is going to say, well, if he's right, then we're in really big trouble. We're in bigger trouble than you ever imagined because what's going to replace it? And the answer is not comforting to anyone. Theoretically, this meant unthinking the great tradition of Christian uh, Platonism. Historically, a uh, 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 Christian Platonism. Historically, it meant overthrowing the ancien, the ancien regime and founding the political, that's the ancient order, the ancient regime, and founding the political as a self-enclosed sphere administered by the new science of power. The elevation of potency, power, or possibility over the actuality of given order is the metaphysical root from which springs both liberalism and Baconian science. The order is the metaphysical root from which springs... Uh, I'm sorry. The former valorizing possibility under the name of freedom, the latter under the name of a truth reduced to pragmatic function, produced by instrumental reason, that that co-penetration of thought and action that now determines what it means for us to think. So, this is just, it's deep stuff here, but it, it, it's, good, it, it's, it's good thinking. It's good long-form thinking. What he's saying is, not only have these clowns gotten away with making it legal to diddle kids and all the other political atrocities all around it, they've actually succeeded through this liberal revolution, revolution of liberalism, and now secular humanism, and now bordering on transhumanism, they've actually altered the way people think. They've actually altered the human thought process. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not going to end well. The thought process was programmed in by someone who thought it was divine. His name is God. You start monkeying around with this, and really bad things are going to happen. I'm not talking about kids being diddled anymore. I'm talking about exchanges of nuclear weapons. I'm talking about people being told, we really don't need that many of you around because we have all these robots and geniuses and what have you here. I think we're going to eliminate a couple billion of you. What will stop it? They don't fear God. They don't fear judgment. So what will stop it? Back to Mr. Hanby. The political and the scientific converge to give America, the quintessentially modern nation, its true form and raison d'etre as a society organized for inquiry to attack nature collectively. Seen in this light, it is the scientific and technological utopia of the new Atlantis and not the Leviathan, the second treatise or the Federalist Papers, that is the most prescient anticipation of what we have become. Accompanying this new social object is a new 
functionalist form of social and political knowing that excludes God and questions of ontological truth from its field of vision and mode of operation. For the sake of brevity, I will follow Augusto del Noche in calling it sociologism, which is less an expression of atheism itself, an inverted form of Christian belief, than of irreligion, where God and being have simply ceased to be intangible as meaningful questions. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, this is so deep, but so far out solid and right on. May I just, and again, I, I have to discuss this as I share it with you, so this may take a couple of shows to do this. He just gave you church's maxim number 65. Number 65? Number 65? I'm afraid I'm not familiar with that one. Well, that's where we go riding into town. Oh, whomping. No. Church's maxim number 65 is what? All of you sharp, sharpies out there should have this one memorized. When an entity enters public life, it must declare itself as either being religious or irreligious. There is no other, there is no other, either you're religious, meaning I acknowledge God, I acknowledge all three parts of the Holy Trinity, I acknowledge the second part coming into this world, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I acknowledge his kingship, and I acknowledge his authority that he rules over me and all that I do. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What did I just say? I practice my Catholicism first and foremost and my vocation under it. My Catholicism informs my vocation. It's the it, it, full stop, end of discussion. No more, dis no more talking, all doing. Talk you'll do, thank you not, to quote Yoda. That makes me religious. I'm a weirdo. I am like one-fifth of one percent <laughs> of all public entities. So when an entity enters a state of society, as George Mason said it, becomes public, it's going to do one of two things. And, you're, and you can't straddle the fence, get the fence post out of your behind. You're either going to declare, I am religious or I am irreligious, which means you reject what I said the, or, or the order that I put things in. Well, that's what Mr. Hanby just said. He just said, God is gone. Irre irreligion is now the rule of the day. That kind of makes me feel, feel good that Church's Maxim 65 is basically being validated by a very wise and studied philosopher king. It made me, when I was reading this, going like, yeah, that's exactly right. Of course, I'm going to say that. Now, maybe Isaaconus and maybe Brother Andre is listening to this going like, ah, dude, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're not right. You're, you know, you're filling yourself up full in your mind. Yeah, you're not correct. I, I, I think that this guy is, that this is, this is, again, this is correct. This is good. I'm going to, I have time for one more paragraph, Mr. Barrett, and then uh, I'm going to mail it in, and we're going to, to do some wonderful crosstalk. 
And again, if you want to read this whole essay, I want all of you to read it. As a matter of fact, I think we can have a symposium on this freaking essay. I think we can invite Michael Hamby in and do a mini conference on this. Go to thekingdude.substack.com or I quote it at the top of today's pile of prep at mikechurch.com. And the link is there to go so you can go read it. This summarizes a great number of arguments that the patient reader can digest elsewhere. I recall them now for two reasons. The first is to indicate the nature, size, and scope of liberal order, without which it is impossible to understand its totalitarian character as a total interpretation of reality, the horizon within which our other social facts are permitted to appear, that recreates everything in the image of its own fundamental assumptions. I mean, that, dude, that is so deep. That's like Thomistic deep. But it's, it, that's, it's correct. In other words, it's what my friend Don Livingston, Don Livingston, the southern gentleman, would say, Mark, uh, what this is is what's called will to power. And that is you create the thing and then all things needed to make the thing real are created afterward to serve it, like the game of baseball. And Livingston actually gave me the Abner Doubleday's creation of baseball. What, was there what, was there a, a, a manufacturing facility that was making bats that no one was using? So Doubleday came along and invented baseball, <laughs> and that's how Livingston put it to me. That was like ten years ago, before I I was just flirting with returning or turning turning back to the Catholic faith. I didn't even know what tradition was, but I understood from a natural law point of view what he was getting at. What I think that's what Hamby's getting at here with liberalism. We'll create the thing, Marika, and then we'll make it what we say it is, right? Shining city on the hill, the Monroe Doctrine and whatnot. Does any of it comport to and conform, though, to natural law, to God's law, and to reality? Well, no, we made a reality. You, you see, Dreher, if you're listening, Dreher, someone's spying on Dreher, this is where you were wrong, Rod. He's not chastising Amari and them. He's, he, he's giving a critique of Deneen's critique of liberalism first. The second is to establish something of a backdrop for the ensuing discussion of post-liberalism about which there seems to be, be a good deal of confusion. Serious Catholic and Christian critiques of liberalism for a long time roughly grouped together as post-liberal, again, air finger quotation marks, are in, the, in, are in at least their second or third generation. Patrick Deneen referred to this strain of thought in an early article before his breakthrough book, Why Liberalism Failed. By the way, go back to February of two, 2018, Mike Churchill Archives, and get my 90-minute-long interview with Patrick Deneen. I was the first to interview him on why liberalism failed. And it was probably the longest interview that he did. Yeah, I, I asked him for 45 minutes. We couldn't get it done. We extended it. We did 90 minutes. Back when he thought I was someone. <laughs> and others did as well. Mentored by this earlier generation of anti-liberal philosophers and theologians, I myself have been a critic of liberalism my entire career though I have never used the term post-liberal to describe my own thought. Nevertheless, this earlier strain of post-liberal thought never succeeded in capturing the public or even the ecclesial imagination. 
Three things have transpired in recent years, however, to transform the situation. First, events have finally vindicated these earlier generations of critics, falsifying both the fusionism, fusionism that synthesized social conservatism with libertarian economics, as well as the Americanism of Catholic neocons, a distinction with little difference. Second, and partly as a consequence of the first, post-liberalism has acquired that special sort of reality that could be conferred only by the attention of the American pundit class. <laughs> 